This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. In this crazy political climate, there's one issue that brings everyone together. I'm Tanya Hall, and joining me is Kevin Ruby, partner at Wiley Ryan LLP. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you for having me, Tanya. I'm thrilled to be here. So give us a brief summary of your background, your resume, if you will, especially as it relates to the telecom industry. Sure. So uh, I'm an attorney. I've been practicing uh, telecom law for over 20 years. Um, and during that time, I covered a, a broad range of issues. So wireless, satellite, um, traditional phone uh, company, regulatory issues, uh, everything ranging from federal funding programs for broadband deployment to poll attachment rates uh, for phone companies to attach to uh, utility telephone poles. Um, but then over the last eight or so years, or maybe seven or so years, um, I became involved in this issue that all of us are very, very familiar with, and it's robocalls. Um, it is the number one consumer complaint at the FCC and FTC. Um, it is a source of tremendous consumer frustration, understandably, uh, over the years. And interestingly, we're, Wiley Ryan is in Washington, D.C., and I do have to say, uh, for everything you're seeing about sort of the political environment here in Washington, uh, it is truly one of the most bipartisan issues uh, in this town right now. Uh, it's the number one priority uh, for the FCC's chairman. Uh, legislation is passed out of both the Senate and House on a overwhelming bipartisan basis. Uh, it's an important issue and there's, there's a lot going on in this space. So how does the law define who is and isn't a robocaller? So that's a great question. So I think one of the, the challenges with this whole robocall issue is that um, there is a tendency for individuals to, to use the robocall term in a fairly generic manner. So they just refer to all robocalls as if they're one and the same. Uh, I generally put them into two buckets. There are legal robocalls, uh, and within that bucket, you have what I would categorize as both wanted and unwanted robocalls, but they're legal. So um, if you have a customer relationship with a company, uh, they are allowed under the law, the TCPA, Telephone Consumer Protection Act, um, to communicate with you via phone. Um, so if you have a commercial relationship with somebody, they can contact you. Um, there are other entities that can call you on the phone, such as charitable organizations, surveys, political robocalls. Uh, those are all governed by the TCPA. Um, and as I said, th those categories of calls fall under you know, both wanted and unwanted. 
Um, you know, I want to get a notice from my doctor reminding me of an appointment or a school closure. I don't necessarily want to get political robocalls or maybe a marketing call to upsell me on a product. The other bucket is all the illegal stuff. This is the, you know, you owe money to the IRS, we're coming to arrest you, your credit card's been breached, um, you need to give us your personal information, um, your grandchild is under arrest and you need to pay his bail with uh, Amazon and iTunes cards, things like that. So I, I always think it's really important that when we talk about robocalls, we distinguish between legal and illegal robocalls. Tell us about the efforts underway in the legislative branch of the U.S. government to combat robocalls. Sure. Um, so as I said earlier, um, there is a tremendous amount of effort underway, both government uh, and industry. And by government, we've got efforts on the Hill, uh, efforts at the FCC, and then industry is undertaking uh, several efforts as well. Um, and in fact, I... You know, I look at 2019 as a, a critical year for robocalls just because there's so much going on. Now, what's happened on the Hill, we've seen uh, two pieces of legislation, uh, one that passed out of the Senate and one that passed out of the House, full floor, floor vote. And to my point about the bipartisan nature of this issue, uh, the, the Senate bill passed by a vote of 97 to 1. Uh, and the House bill passed by 429 to 3. So uh, this is something that, that unites uh, elected officials to address robocalls. At a really high level, um, both of the bills in the House and the Senate address robocalls um, with respect to something that's called shaken and stir uh, that we can get to and talk about and implementation of that standard by uh, voice providers in their networks, um, that standard basically authenticates the phone number uh, that is being displayed in the caller ID. Um, the Senate version called the Trace Act is very much focused on robocalls. So it creates sort of a quasi-mandate for implementation of shake and stir. Um, it enhances some of the FCC's enforcement capabilities with respect to illegal robocallers. Um, it creates an uh, industry government working group uh, that will examine uh, criminal enforcement efforts against illegal robocallers um, and some other sort of generic and related FCC rulemakings with respect to robocalls. The House version, similar thing, except it's a straight mandate on shake and stir implementation by voice providers. Um, it mandates uh, deployment of tools, free tools by voice providers. It, both bills permit the blocking of robocalls by voice providers. Um, but the, the House version goes into aspects of the TCPA that I was talking about um, previously. So it makes some, um, definitional changes under that statute that are more directed towards the legal robocallers as opposed to the legal, illegal robocallers. 
what's going to happen with these two bills is that basically they're going to have to uh, go to conference and merge these two bills, get final approval, uh, and presumably uh, signature from the president. So I see it happening. So you talked about shake and stir several times. Can you just define what that means? Sure. So shake and stir um, is an industry standard um, and Shaken stands for sharing asserted information using tokens. STIR stands for secure telephony identity revisited. And at a really high level, what these two standards do, it's basically a, a network standard that voice providers would deploy in their networks um, that enables the uh, originating voice provider and the terminating voice provider to authenticate the caller ID that's being displayed. Um, and the way it works is through basically encrypted tokens. So the originating voice provider that puts that call onto the network will authenticate and attest to the validity of the caller ID that is being, that it is presenting uh, with that particular call. And for any phone call, um, you know, I'm a Verizon subscriber, let's assume. Tanya, that you're a T-Mobile subscriber uh, out in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And if I make a call to you, that call may very well transit three, four, maybe five networks before it terminates on your end. And what Shaken does, it basically builds a network process whereby um, the, the token associated with that call and that caller ID is passed to each uh, downstream provider so that they too can authenticate that caller ID information uh, as it passes along through the network. All right, Kevin, what are the next legal and regulatory milestones on the horizon intended to reduce robocalls? So there is a lot going on. Uh, 2019 has been an extremely busy year uh, for regulators and legislators. So we talked about what's happening on the Hill. Uh, one of the recent developments at the FCC, uh, the agency back in, I think it was June, um, adopted what's called a declaratory ruling and a further notice of proposed rulemaking. And what that declaratory ruling does, it's basically uh, a decision by the commission where they look at their existing uh, statutory authority and they say, look, our interpretation under uh, the FCC's existing statutory framework, we are declaring uh, that voice providers can provide what are called opt-out call blocking tools to consumers. And this is a huge game changer um, because previously back in 2017, the FCC set up uh, statutory authority or regulatory authority for carriers to block four very discrete aspects of um, calls. And these were basically calls that had invalid caller ID numbers in there. So, you know, all ones or all zeros or all twos, um, un unallocated phone numbers. So numbers that hadn't been distributed to a voice provider to assign. Um, and unassigned phone numbers, uh, as well as something called do not originate, where the owner of the phone number says, block any call showing my caller ID. Uh, 
those are really narrow categories of the billions of robocalls that are transiting the network. What the FCC's declaratory ruling said was basically, look, voice providers can deploy blocking tools, permissive. They don't have to, but they can. They can deploy uh, voice block or call blocking services and apps to their customers on an opt-out basis, meaning that you know, if you're a customer, you don't have to sign up for anything. You don't have to log in to turn it on. It's just automatically turned on. Um, and those calls will, um, you know, block robocalls using what the FCC calls reasonable analytics. So there are a number of things that can go into making a determination as to whether a call is legal or illegal. Um, but that, that declared declaratory ruling was a green light for voice providers. Um, the rulemaking is um, a separate proceeding, but that basically asks a lot of questions about how the FCC should set up rules for this blocking framework it's putting in. Uh, both the declaratory ruling and the FMPRM um, note that voice providers cannot block critical communications. So these are calls from public safety ent entities, for example. They can't block those calls. In the FMPRM, the FCC kind of asks, what's the best way to do that? Should we set up a central list? Should we have voice providers maintain their own lists? How do we make sure it's accurate? Um, there's also a discussion about something called a safe harbor. Um, and what that deals with is basically um, setting up a framework whereby if a voice provider provides opt-out blocking tools to its subscribers, if they inadvertently block a legal call, they don't want to be held civilly liable for blocking that call. So the FCC basically has to figure out what the scope of that safe harbor is, such that, you know, if a, so long as a voice provider is blocking those calls consistent with that framework, they would not be liable for the inadvertent blocking of a legal call. Kevin Rupi, partner at Wiley Ryan LLP. If somebody wants to connect with you, Kevin, how can they do that? Uh, I would uh, encourage them to go to our firm's website, wileyryan.com, W-I-L-E-Y, REIN.com, and uh, you can find my contact information there. Sounds good. Thanks again for your time, Kevin. And if you guys want to find more of my interviews, you can do that right here or go to tanyahall.net. Thanks for watching. Thank you, Tanya.